Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. We're going to date it. Today is January 16th, 2022, and we're going to speak about the new health order. It's 21 pages long. Raylia, do you want to give us a summary? A succinct summary is that our hands are tied, unfortunately. The government has made it illegal for doctors to start IVF cycles for any reason in Victoria, except for in cases where a patient's about to undertake cancer treatment. So that has a big impact on our community and we've received some great questions. These um, have been briefly answered through Instagram and can be found in Raylia's highlights. But the podcast gives us an opportunity to go through concerns in more detail. So Raylia, over the last few days, you've been speaking about advocating for your patients. Before we start answering questions, could you explain what you and your colleagues are doing and how the community can give their support? Well, look, in Victoria, in, in many phases of the pandemic response, we've, as a state, been in a very different boat to the rest of the country. And in Victoria, our health minister has decided to indiscriminately stop all IVF for any reason in any circumstance. We really recognise as IVF practitioners that IVF is not like other surgeries. Uh, egg collections are done in an outpatient context the risk of having any kind of complication from a stimulated IVF cycle is far less than 1%. It's 0.04% as quoted in the medical literature. There is an even smaller risk of a patient in an IVF cycle being admitted to hospital or to intensive care. So, you know, we do believe as IVF practitioners that we can practice pandemic safe IVF um, we do recognise the gravity of the pandemic and we do recognise that health resources need to be conserved. One thing the government could do is to, rather than indiscriminately cancel all IVF, allow clinicians, doctors, nurses, professionals who know about IVF to self-regulate and, you know, kind of allow patients who have dire needs to proceed who will be ultimately disadvantaged, who may face the difference between having a baby or not having a baby because of this decision to proceed with their IVF treatment. And I would beseech governments to take this feedback on board and make a sensible decision. I would also entreat them to look to the evidence because no other state in Australia has made this decision. IVF continues in New South Wales with case numbers higher than ours in recognition that it has, you know, absolutely minimal impact on the health system's uh, ability to fight COVID. Absolutely no benefit of stopping treatment for our patients. So it, it's deeply frustrating and it's, you know, deeply upsetting. Patients are so, so 
upset by this decision. Um, you know, it's doing a lot of psychological harm and it seems like it's a political decision. It doesn't seem like it's a decision made of common sense or, or because of the, the needful benefit. It seems like it's a decision made to do the same for everyone. We, we really need our leaders to actually, for the greater good of us all, make decisions that are nuanced, that do discriminate between what will help and what will not, you know, and I think that's that's really the um, responsibility that we expect of our leaders rather than the indiscriminate banning of IVF. And so how are you advocating for your patients? So, look, I'm advocating for my patients in various ways, uh, behind the scenes through discussion with our leaders and trying to communicate and with my fellow colleagues at Melbourne IVF, we will be looking to try and communicate this message. And we will also be potentially, if we have to, looking at interstate partnerships. It's ridiculous to treat our patients you know, in Victoria and then send them across a border to have an egg collection to another Victorian um, neighbouring state where it's completely fine to do so. So we can send our patients potentially to New South Wales or we can send our patients to Tasmania where they can have their egg collection. And, you know, and, and that is just showing you how ridiculous this Victorian government decision is because the same patients will be having their medication in Victoria and potentially will be then returning to Victoria and the only thing that they won't be doing is having their egg collection in Victoria. And if that's the case, then, you know, it just makes an, an even higher burden of cost, of stress to our patients. Can you talk about the difference between elective and emergency? Because there's two types of surgeries, aren't there? And I think this is actually really important because there's surgery and there's surgery. And it may interest Victorians to know that not only are we the most locked down state in the world through this pandemic, but we also have had restrictions in our health system throughout the last two years that have not been present in other states. Like, for example, New South Wales, when they've capped elective surgeries, they have not capped day surgeries. So they've not capped surgeries where you go in and, and leave hospital same day. So things like IVFs, things like gastroscopies, things like cataracts, they've just kept on going in New South Wales this whole time. Whereas in Victoria, you know, we have this burden, this massive burden of two years of delayed surgeries on off on off and so we now have these incredible wait lists in our hospital that did not need to be generated it's like a problem that exists which is the pandemic you know the reaction to that problem has caused so many other problems in our health system and it didn't need to be this way in terms of elective versus emergency an emergency surgery is something like you've got a ruptured appendix You've got a fetal distress in labour and you need to have a delivery in theatre or a caesarean. You know, you've got a trauma from a car accident. We need to operate STAT. Like those are emergency surgeries. You've got an ectopic pregnancy. We're worried about your tube, you know, rupturing. These are emergency surgeries that, that need to be done here and now. Everything else is categorised as an elective surgery. So if you need your knee replaced, it's an elective surgery. If you need a cardiac bypass it's an elective surgery if you need a laparoscopy for endometriosis that's causing you terrible pain it's an elective surgery so all of these things that are scheduled on a day that is not today is an elective surgery 
And then there are categories of elective surgery. And, and these are very, you know, kind of arbitrary and broad. So the category one surgeries are surgeries that need to be done within 30 days and that the doctor can justify that if it was done in 31 days, it would be a problem. And then there's category two, which is done in, in three months. And then category three is everything else, which can be done in within a year. And so that that's just artificial. It's just bureaucracy categorizing things for the process of working out hospital waiting lists and schedules. We're talking about IVF and IVF is not a procedure. It's not an operation like when you do a knee replacement or a hip replacement that you do it once and it's done. You know, IVF is a process that women and men go through sometimes for months on end, occasionally for years on end, serially for years, having multiple children over time. And it's not a procedure where you have your surgical date. Oh, I might be delayed, but then you get it done and it's done. No, you know, we don't always get a positive outcome from an IVF cycle. We don't always get a baby. You know, the average patient has, you know, three complete IVF cycles and transfer of all their embryos before they get a baby. You know, there are people who do better than average. There are people who do worse than average. But the other thing about IVF is that in general, it is possible to do IVF in standalone facilities that do not require huge impacts on our health system at all. In fact, they have very minimal impacts on our health system. So we can safely do IVF outside of major hospitals, outside of major private hospitals, outside of major public hospitals. And also, you know, our workforce in IVF is super specialised, super specialised. It's not like your IVF nurses are going to go and work in intensive care, you know, which again is another area that is super specialised. That's just not going to happen and it's it's not happening. So our workforce, you know, is not required, needed or um, being redeployed uh, at this time to do other things. And we strongly advocate to governments and anyone who's listening to reach out to do um, their best to, if you, if you know a journalist, chat to them about it. If you know a politician or if you want to have a look up at their, on their website for their email, send them a message about it. You know, it's, it's absolutely something worth advocating for. How long do we expect this delay to happen? Back in um, March 2020, when the first hold was on IVF, we were told it was indefinite and it ended up lasting about four weeks. What do we know this time? All we know is that this health order is of 90 days duration as of the day of its inception. But I say watch this space because when an order doesn't make sense, we're not going to take it lying down in a respectful way, advocate for our patients and for our ability to treat our patients. So yes, it might last 90 days, but we will be doing our best to try and get through this as expediently as possible. And that's why I say to all my patients who are listening, still report your day ones. It's really important for us for various reasons. One, to demonstrate how many patients have been compromised by this decision. Two, to look after you as an individual, to give you the best options available for you. That might be, for example, the option of deciding to use a oral contraceptive pill so that we're in a holding pattern so that as soon as we are allowed to start, we can start. That might actually end up being important for some patients uh, later because what we're going to experience is when this ban lifts, however long it's gone on for, we'll have to treat patients over the one cycle or two cycles that have been waiting 
during the ban and that's a greater number of patients than we are usually able to help in a single month. Because what happens in IVF is we start a cycle in general when you get your period and it's naturally spread out by the variation in our patient population and when they decide would be a good time for them to start and when they're ready to start, what will happen after a prolonged stop of IVF is that there'll be a much greater group of patients ready to go all at the same time and we may need to manage that using the pill so that patients don't have to wait a whole other month to start their cycle but that we're able to cope as an IVF unit and laboratory with the number of cases of IVF in a given month. For people who haven't yet started treatment and are probably about to have their first appointment or have their first appointment scheduled in say six weeks, what should they be considering at this time? Oh, look, I would say, you know, the most important thing to know about IVF when you have an appointment is that patients don't walk in the door and say, I'll have IVF, please, like you order off a menu. What we do is we do a thorough assessment of a patient, their partner, their circumstances, think about what interventions might help them or might be able to help them, and then make a decision together based on their preference and their circumstances. And, you know, often there is time taken to optimise holistic factors to try and make sure that we get the very best outcome for them when we do start treatment. So, you know, I would say, one, if you want to see silver lining (laughs) to the cloud of not being able to start or not being able to start IVF cycles, not being able to operate, um, you know, there'll be hours of my week where I normally do IVF procedures personally, where I usually do do gynecological surgery laparoscopic surgery and so you know often in our practice we do have a bit of a wait time for a first appointment and um, what I'll be doing with my time is working tirelessly to try and um, expedite getting ready patients who have appointments in the future we might bring them forward so you know the silver lining may be that the wait time to your first appointment might be reduced um, if we're not able to overturn this decision. And what can we do and and why can we do them? So what we can do is IUI, which is ovulation induction and sperm optimization. So that's a technique together called IUI, uh, which doesn't involve an anaesthetic or a a surgical element. What does that stand for? uh, Intrauterine insemination. So we take the sperm, we zoop it up, we optimize it. Um, We can use donor sperm if it's available as well in this context. So um, for single women, same sex Female couples, we often use IUI to assist conception and some heterosexual couples do decide to do it because it does give you an extra egg in the body. It gives you uh, a boost to the sperm and it's a more gentle process but with not you know, kind of as good success rates as IVF but it's available right now. There will be some of my patients who had planned to go ahead with IVF for various reasons but they might consider trying IUI while waiting. And um, there is also the feasibility to proceed with frozen embryo transfer. So, you know, my patients who've created embryos through IVF, maybe they've had a baby before they've got embryos in the freezer. Maybe they've had a freeze all cycle. Maybe they've had an embryo transfer in a stimulated cycle, not gotten pregnant, but have other embryos. All of those patients can proceed with frozen embryo transfer cycles. So that is still possible. I think also it's worth keeping in mind the 100 days before pregnancy and how this time can be used really productively, even if you were meant to be starting now. Absolutely. So 
in the ideal world, we would all have the perfect diet and lifestyle. And we all know that we don't all have the perfect diet and lifestyle. So we can work on our individual health issues. We have a beautiful holistic team at Women's Health Melbourne um, of our allied health therapists, including dietetics, um, weight loss assistants, naturopathy, traditional Chinese medicine. And you can have a listen to our uh, episodes with our beautiful allied health practitioners. We'll put the links in the show notes. It's something that you can definitely do um, during this time to, again, find a silver lining to try and get ready so that you're in your very best position to move forward. Going into state for treatment is very messy and it is not my go-to situation for most patients, but it's something I would consider for my patients who I really feel would be compromised significantly by uh, the wait time that is presented, especially if it's going to be more like the 90 days. Aside from um, lifestyle optimization, with patients who were expecting to start now, probably a few people were like, I'm going to do my first day one in January. What can we do for them? I would suggest that every patient in that situation should call my rooms at Women's Health Melbourne and we should catch up for a telehealth uh, just to discuss your individual circumstances. There's no one size fits all solution and make a plan that's best for you. At least being able to talk through all the options that are available will give you the perspective and then you can decide what you would like to do and I will support you fully. We've had a few questions about egg freeze. How is this being affected and what should egg freeze patients be considering at the moment? So there's lots of different reasons to freeze your eggs. Lots of women decide to freeze eggs for personal reasons, others for medical reasons. Uh, As I mentioned, all cycles of IVF and egg freezing indiscriminately are stopped. So unfortunately, even those who for medical reasons uh, are planning on freezing eggs, we cannot proceed right now, just like for all infertility, for medical reasons, we can't proceed right now. And elective cycles also have been halted. Again, watch this space. As soon as the ability to start turns on again, you'll be eligible to get started. So, you know, what you can do is have excellent approach to diet and lifestyle, um, have a think about how it might affect you to freeze eggs in a few months' time. Um, Let me know every time you have a day one so we can reassess your situation in real time and kind of we will get you there. Egg freezing is a miracle. It's amazing that we can put eggs in the freezer and use them in years' time to have babies um, with egg potential of young women is phenomenal. Um, So it's it's a great thing to do. It's something that no one thinks lightly about. People who freeze eggs think very seriously about it and, you know, it's it's one of those um, things that often research shows women think about for a few years before they actually end up doing it. So um, I would say for egg freezing, we can't justify even if we're allowed to to start cycles in this situation. Um, I would say for most women who are undertaking elective egg freezing, that kind of time, um, yes, it's ideal to put eggs in the freezer as young as possible and as many as possible and egg freezing sometimes takes a few cycles and ta- can take time. But I would say worst case scenario, if this delay lasts three months, I think we can do equally well for you with egg freezing. And, you know, for egg freezing, I would say as for my patients who, you know, might be, 
you know, younger, not as stressed about their age-related infertility and okay to delay IVF by a few months, you know, we can talk about what we can do to set you up for success and make sure that you get your very best outcome when we can treat you. And if you have an appointment for your first appointment, uh, don't move it. Yeah, look, what I would say is that we're going to be inundated. Um, You know, I'm not looking forward to this year really in some senses because whatever happens when the government stops surgery, what happens is that there's this build-up of of surgical cases I need to do and there's only limited hours in the day and limited surgical time. And what I need to do is three months worth of surgery in one to two months and and it's one of those things that appointments can be hard to attain. Um, so if you have the opportunity to have your appointment during this time and get you on the right trajectory and right track, then we should keep it. And then you're more informed about your personal situation. Yeah, definitely. So that goes on to my next question, which you briefly just touched on about the backlog. So we talked about how fertility uh, backlog for the procedures will can be managed a bit with pill delay potentially. What about surgeries? Because you do do some surgeries. Oh, we do. And look, it's one of those things that every surgeon in the country is just, you know, the morale of us all is just a little bit down at the moment because we, we can work. We want to do the work. The work needs to be done. Um, it's not just COVID. You know, it's one of those things that – you know, we're always busy. There's always surgery to do. What we'll need to ask of our patients is just your support and, you know, your patience when it comes to reproductive surgeries because I need to compete with every other surgeon for theatre time to catch up with their backlog just as I have my backlog of patients that I would have loved to be operating on for all the months of the last two years that we couldn't operate. And I think we did a very good job last year, Geordie, of catching up. It was amazing. Yeah. It really was, yeah. I think the whole team actually at Women's Health Melbourne worked whatever they had to work to get us on track. Yeah. And I'm just throwing out a thank you to our team, to our amazing team. You know, surgery is not just an operation that a doctor does. It's involving teams of nurses, teams of theatre coordinators, our administrative staff, pre-operative preparation, you know, some hospital admissions occasionally, discharges. It takes time and a lot of organisation and um, dealing with in the private sector people's, people's health funds to get them the best outcome from a financial perspective. Yeah, it's a lot of work. So, you know, we will do our very best to catch up. Um, we will have, like every other surgeon, limited theatre time to catch up with. Um, We always see new patients and have new cases as well. It's just going to take a little while. Um, And I'm so sorry for all my patients um, who, you know, kind of have those delays, who are expecting to have surgery next week and are not going to have it. We can still do some surgeries, but the majority of surgeries are not Category 1 surgeries and are not allowed in this situation. On the topic of surgeries, I guess that's an exceptional circumstance that someone might may need some form of laparoscopic surgery before starting IVF. For people who, I don't know, low AMH or they're of advanced age or maybe there's a genetic reason or they've been experiencing reoccurring miscarriages, endometriosis, I don't know, other pathologies, is there any exception to this rule? doesn't sound like it. 
Well, look, that's really our gripe with this rule that there isn't. It's been completely indiscriminate. And, you know, it's one of those things that some patients will be deeply compromised by waiting three months. Some patients will not be as compromised. They will be equally disappointed. But clinically, you know, we have no right of triage. We have no facility to continue IVF under these orders. We, you know, and we're not going to break the law. You know, we need to abide by whatever the decision is. But, you know, when, when a bad decision is made or a decision that we think is flawed, you know, we will challenge that decision and we will advocate for change. And just because I believe my patient with their AMH of one and my patient who's, you know, 43 and my patient who has endometriosis that leaves her paralysed in pain every month deserves surgery sooner, that doesn't change the decision, which is a government decision. I think it's important to say, just as we finish up, that it's really important to look after your mental health in this time. This order isn't forever and to get support when you need it. Absolutely. Look, I would say, you know, for a a very significant number of patients in IVF, waiting a few months will not be detrimental to your prognosis. You know, what I'm disappointed at is that the government has not allowed us to facilitate treatment for those minority or for whom waiting is a serious problem. I hope to advocate respectfully and, you know, work together for hopefully a solution that finds a way forward for my patients. You know, I'll be busy either way. It's not about me, you know. It's not about my practice. My team will be busy. You know, if we are not doing IVF, we will be seeing new patients. We will be getting people ready. We will be talking to our existing patients working on, you know, their best outcomes in whatever circumstances we face. It's about my patients. It's about seeing our IVF community be able to have treatment and being able to have babies. Think about the number of babies that we would not have on this earth if IVF had been ceased in this way over the last two years. You know, the government tried to do that in the first lockdown and then they saw the light. (laughs) They saw that IVF did not compromise care and we put it to the government that it is still the situation. You know, IVF does not burden the health system as a whole. IVF does not impact on ICU admissions. You know, IVF is not something that needs to cease in this circumstance. You know, and I would welcome a change to this decision in view of the very little impact that IVF has on our health system as a whole and the great good that we do for our patients, helping them to have a family, which is one of life's most important decisions. Thank you so much, Raylia. And everyone will keep you up to date through Raylia's Instagram, other podcasts if we need it, um, and emails. And if you do have an appointment coming up, please keep it. If you need a review appointment, please get in touch. And if you're thinking about making your first appointment, don't hold off. Sounds good. Thank you so much. To support Knocked Up, leave us a review or recommend to a friend. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and join Raylia at Dr. Raylia Lou. And email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au.